Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Talking Force. Today, we have special guest Jason Stone coming in uh, live from his new spot here over in Cincinnati. Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Thomas. I'm uh, I'm definitely excited to be here. Hey, so I've been bugging you for a while to come on the show, and I'm excited to have you because you're kind of one of those rare breeds where you've been able to do some pretty heavy research in your career. Um, but here we find you today, um, you know, as a practitioner actually in the field. And I think that's very rare. And I'd love to kind of just tell our audience kind of your story and your kind of journey. And then we're going to do a little deeper dive um, into some of the technologies that you've used um, and how you've applied them, because I think that is kind of the next frontier here is that when we talk about athlete monitoring, we talk about sports science, it's what are you doing with the information? And obviously um, your journey is a, is a story that's very, very unique. So if you could, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got mm-hmm. to where you're at today and, and the journey to get here? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, that, that was a really solid intro. Um, thank you. But uh, yeah, so like you mentioned, I definitely started in more of like a research, almost initially more of a, like a clinical thought in mind of, always wanting to be involved in sport, but I think initially uh, going back to even just like being a kid, I think what I always wanted to be was a team doc. Actually, my dream job was to be the team physician for either the Ohio State Buckeyes or the Cincinnati Reds, uh, which is pretty wild to think about now because I'm with the Reds and I just came from the Buckeyes. Um, Just a lot different approach. And it was definitely my professional experiences. And then ultimately, uh, where I landed with like my PhD that I think kind of, I think you nailed it perfectly. Cause that's how I describe myself is, um, and I wouldn't have two or three years ago is now I definitely see myself as much more of a practitioner, um, and wanting to really nail like the applied side of things. Um, so where that all started was, like I said, like as a kid, I literally just wanted to be a team doc and science was always kind of my, my shtick in school, I guess. And then I was just inherently enamored with sports my entire life played sports watched sports my social life revolves around sports always has been um so in undergrad I was uh like I studied exercise science kinesiology and health um at Miami of Ohio but like I said it was it was definitely with the thought in mind that I wanted to go to medical school uh and then I actually bounced around back or back and forth between wanting to do medical school or Uh, PT because at that time the PT degree was all of the programs were changing to a DPT Um, and I thought it was more hands-on so I just I I was intrigued by that and then changed my mind again back to med school which it ended up being a blessing because what that made me do is after I graduated uh, finished undergrad I had to take a gap year to study to like take the MCAT because I had missed that whole cycle um, so in that time I needed to get a job and that job was at the 7-Eleven human performance wing, which is basically just a research arm of, uh, the air force, but it's at Wright Patterson air force base, which is in Dayton, Ohio, which is where I'm from. So it was, it was really convenient. Um, and it, it ended up kind of sending me on my trajectory. So I went into that job, like working, 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 essentially just part-time, but I would spend, I would spend my time in the morning in the lab and then spend my afternoons at my cubicle studying for the MCAT. Uh, I ended up taking the MCAT and like I had gone through the whole process of, uh, I think I was to secondary interviews uh, with a handful of schools, but at the same time, I'm like having this thought in the back of my head that like, I've done all these, I've done all these job and or not uh, like job shadows with physicians and surgeons and on team docs and like been on sidelines with them. 
but in the back of my mind, I was still thinking like, I'm still kind of bored. And the first time I felt like I wasn't bored was doing the stuff I was doing in that research lab, which was my first like exposure to human performance and like technology as it relates to it. Uh, and then like longitudinal tracking, like athlete monitoring, essentially. I didn't know that at the time, but that's what we were doing. Um, so I started asking some, uh, like my mentors there, um, like Adam Strang, who now runs the strong lab at that, uh, same facility, uh, you know, like what, what sorts of things do I need to do to like get into the work that you guys are doing? Because I, yeah, it was totally new to me that there were all these like PhD civilians that were doing all of this very high level, but very applied, uh, like human performance research and extremely high performing populations. Uh, so that's when they started telling me to like look into master's programs in grad school, but not looking, you know, like an undergrad, it's kind of, you just want to go find like the school that like has the best experience and maybe part of the education obviously plays into it, but their, uh, their advice to me at that time was to find like a, to find a, a professor that was doing the type of research. Cause I wanted, I was obviously like starting to carve out like a niche for myself, um, in terms of this, like at that time, I was definitely thinking I wanted to stay in the tactical realm. Uh, so I was trying to find uh, researchers that were doing like tactical applied human performance research, which is what led me down to Texas Christian University. Um, I studied there with uh, Dr. John, Jonathan Oliver for a handful of years. I did my master's and then worked there for another year. Um, did a little bit of military research, but most of it was still uh, like athletics at that time, we did a lot of concussion studies with the football team. Um, and then I just started to get exposed to force plates there. Uh, so we were starting to do like some jump testing and some isometric testing uh, with various teams uh, relating that stuff to like body composition and changes over time. Um, so then I, I, when I took that master's uh, role, I, again, still went into that, not sure if I wanted to do a PhD or go to medical school. So I basically went into that into that program with the thought in mind that at the end of it, I'm either going to decide to keep doing this PhD uh, like applied route or um, just like get into a better medical school than what I was getting into previously. Obviously, fast forward and uh, definitely like all those experiences that I was having at TCU. Um made me want to go more of the applied route, but I was still doing a lot of research. Like I was, I think because of just what grad school uh, typically tends to be with like master's programs and needing to do a thesis project, um, working for professors that are like early in their career and also want to publish a lot. So I think inherently, like it can be really rewarding for grad students to find themselves in those spots, but I just inherently like found myself in a lot of involved in a lot of research Um and at that time, I was definitely okay with that. I really enjoyed it. I liked to do the writing a lot um, and was trying to help on as many papers and as many studies as I could. So that's what I think also kind of pushed me towards the PhD. And I was about to start my PhD um, at TCU. And it was about three or four months prior to that that I saw on LinkedIn uh, that Josh Hagan, I saw from a post from Guy Hornsby on LinkedIn that Josh Hagan was starting up this lab uh, at WVU and they were looking for like sports science uh, or like people interested in sports science. So I knew Josh Hagan because um, Josh came from that same 7-Eleven team of performance wing at the Air Force lab. 
Uh, I had worked with Adam Strang at the time and not Josh, but Adam and Josh worked hand in hand. They still work hand in hand on a ton of projects. Uh, so I was definitely aware of like who Josh was and what he was doing. And at that, at that time, back in when I was at the Air Force Base, Josh was just starting to work with Ohio State Athletics and trying to stand up some sports science initiatives. Um, so, yeah, so I hit up Josh on LinkedIn and within like a week, I think I was on the phone with him. And within maybe a month or two, I was uh, moving to Morgantown, West Virginia, and I'd never been there before. Um, so, yeah, so then I landed there and it was still a lot of research. Like that's where we started to do a lot of gold standard studies in terms of like sleep wearables and heart rate measurements, uh, force plate comparisons, um, but then still uh, being heavily involved in the, uh, I guess, like the athlete monitoring across the entire athletics department at WVU. Um, so that's where I met Dr. Hormsby. Um, and then I think the whole like the culmination of me becoming way more of a practitioner, I absolutely credit to to Guy. Um, and I think the the PhD program that I ultimately enrolled in at WVU with Guy is my Guy and Josh basically is like my guys, my chair, uh, but the two of them kind of being like my two primary mentors. Um, in addition to the strength coach, uh, Sean Brown with West Virginia men's basketball. So that's where I ended up doing my, my dissertation work. Um, and I think it was through like the encouragement of both Josh and Guy. And then once I got in with basketball, uh, Sean was just really like, he was he was monumental and like helping me try to become less of a researcher in as simple of ways as like just the way I would communicate and the way that I would show data or talk about data to players and building relationships with players and coaches before we ever even talk about data, um, helping them understand a lot of the why and um, why why I'm going to ask them to do the force plate test or why I want to track their sleep. It's not because we want to babysit and reprimand athletes because of bedtimes it's the complete opposite it's because I want to know that if you did go to bed late one what are the effects that it has on you and then two knowing those effects what can we do knowing that you got to train and or compete today so we need to get you ready for that and we only have a finite amount of time to do that uh, so I think like things like that and trying to let them know that um, I'm not some scientist or some like <laughs> the, what I what I was perceived as when I first got in with basketball was the force plate nerd. Um, and I'm hoping that like over time, I just kind of became like the cooler force plate nerd. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, the big part of like the, the practitioner was um, undoubtedly the, the like culmination of everything coming together at WVU between coach Brown guy, uh, Josh Hagan, and then the PhD program being, very like coaching and applied sports science oriented just in the classes and things that I was taking and the lessons I was learning in, in the classroom while there too. Um, kind of helped me, I think ultimately land where I am now. <clears throat> yeah. And I think, you know, one, what did your parents think when you were doing that journey? Cause yeah. everyone we brought on here, they're like, man, my parents are about to kill me and yeah. <laughs> one to another, but uh, that support, yeah. I think that journey too, for, for younger listeners, Everybody I talk to these days comes out. It's like, oh, I want to get that, you know, director job right away. I want to get that, you know, insert 
high level uh, prestigious position, but there's, there's a journey and that journey kind of gets you prepared to be successful. And had you got that position, um, you might not have been ready. And so I think that that was a really cool story to hear. And, and when you mentioned West Virginia, I'm sitting there laughing and thinking, because I remember speaking with Guy, very smart dude, very good scientist. But what I also appreciate is that he actually lifts, he gets after it and yep. yourself included. When we talk about sports science, I, I do often worry. And I've talked to some people, oh, I just want to be the data guy. I just want to be the yep. GPS yep. guy. I just, you know, that's not, you lose context. If yeah, you don't yeah. understand 100%. position demands, coaching styles and how you hit on there, the first thing you do is you have to build a relationship because this technology, no matter what you use, it's a language, but any mm-hmm. language if you don't have a good relationship, can't be communicated, you're just wasting time. And I think I worry that we will see a little bit of the pendulum swing the other way of some of these individuals that have no context or bearing presenting to a sport coach. And they can say, well, I've been doing this for 20, 30 years without it. I don't need it. How do you go about kind of setting the tone for what to expect? Because the other thing is you start people off small and you build momentum. If you go in and you take an entire practice or a lift, the strength coach is going to hate you. The athletes are going to think it's weird. How, how do you go about building that momentum in any of the technologies that you use yeah. and knowing when to add more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's super important because I totally agree that it does need to be kind of like a, like an iterative process that continues to build on itself. Um, but I, I kind of alluded to it already in that I think it absolutely starts with getting to know the people that you're going to eventually need to ask inevitably to do things. Uh, like testing or like listen to me when I have like some thoughts on some data that I'm looking at Uh, but getting to know like the coaches and the players and and then not just that but getting to know like the environment that you're in so understanding what do practices look like when we're doing sprint drills or things like that what kind of sprints are we doing when we're doing changes of direction what does that look like Um, and then just literally just like as simple as understanding like the cadence of the day and what a normal schedule looks like. I think that's why it's so important to be very immersive, which is again, like West Virginia basketball was my first chance to be very immersed into the culture and the environment and being at practice every day and being in the weight room, not to just always intervene, I guess, or like be, be like this person that's just like hammering like data insights. It was literally just to observe. And I think, where like high performance sport uh, makes this, it, it makes this hard and it's really hard to get around in that people need to win and people need to win now. That's, that's the name of the game. So it's, it's really hard to like sell people on more of like a longitudinal plan when it's like, yeah, but I need you to help me now. Um, that, that, it's, a that's a, year. it's a contract yeah. year. I'm going to be fired yeah. if we don't win. Yeah, exactly. So like you, you're playing that like weird game all the time. So you need, but I still think you need, like, even if you're trying to pick up like, like low hanging fruits, like people say that a lot, it kind of drives me nuts, but it is what it is. Like, you're just trying to get some small wins initially just to build trust. But I think what I try and focus on too, is showing to give people more confidence in like whatever data that I'm tracking Um, I think the reality is that as long as you're using valid and reliable data, it's going to be, or like data sources, it's going to be sensitive to the things that you like, that's why you're bringing it in to the, to the environment. So like, if it's, if it's already something that's happening and usually what this is going to be is like internal and or external load monitoring of like GPSs or RFIDs or IMUs or something, a lot of people already have those. 
So I think that's that is an opportunity where you can use some really simple like volume and intensity metrics to just show coaches and players that it's just doing everything that you expect it to do. Like these are the high days. These are the low, low days. Um, and then I think that that gives them more confidence to show that, like, look, I'm not here to like dictate practice all the time and say that this, you know, we need to do essentially just make it so objective that the you take the art and skill of the coaching out of it. Um, so by showing them, I think that like they can have some confidence and that these things are going to be sensitive to the things that they already had kind of like the preconceptions that they already have in their head. Uh, then I think that opens up the door for you later when you notice in the data that things kind of do go awry or like you're, you're now you're starting to do more of like this outlier detection. Uh, if you've been able to show them, you know, like 90% of the time, this is exactly what you thought it was. And that's, that's all I just need to see over time. So that when there's that one day where it's like volumes and intensities go up, uh, or go down on a day that you wanted them to do the opposite, then I think it's really important for us, uh, to like, if you have that initial buy-in that it is sensitive to what you expect it to. So that then when you come in and be like, Hey, what did you think practice was? And then it's like, yeah, but this is what this looks like. Um, I think that can kind of help uh, like build that rapport over time. Yeah. I think it's so critical that if the first conversation and the only conversation you have with people is that stop doing that, that mm -hmm. technology is going to get run right out of the program. Yeah. So yeah. you have to understand that coaches can't be wrong all the time. There's degrees yeah. of right and wrong, but your communication shouldn't just be during, you know, times of, uh, you know, either punitive or times of, uh, putting a restrictor plate on the program. But I got to ask you though, because this has happened a couple of times, the elephant in the room is you get all this data, you know, you're getting ready to show coach, but what do you do when the data doesn't line up? And I, I can't tell you the number of practitioners said, well, everybody loves sports science until it doesn't confirm what the coaches wanted to do. And so yeah. now you get into, and I think too, you, you bring up a great point about it's got to be accurate. Like yeah. you know how many people I've seen do starting tens and then they do flying tens. The coach is like, we got fat. Well, that's, that's not valid. You know, yeah. when you look at your plates, you have to make sure that they're zeroed in. When you look at your GPS, that they're charged. How do you handle that if you're a young practitioner where I don't want to hear it? Like, we're going to do what we do. And, you know, you can very, very clearly see that this isn't going to end well. How do you handle those tough conversations? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I think the reality is that, like, you just got to respect the pecking order that exists. It's just like any other org. Like, there's going to be a pecking order. And at the end of the day, it's the head coach or it's the managers, you know, it's their show to kind of run in terms of practice scripts and things like that. And um, even though you might objectively think that the data is saying one thing and they're doing another, you still got to kind of have a little like a, some self-awareness and uh, just a little more appreciation for, I think, um, the subjective and like what I just mentioned, like the art of coaching. And that, you know, West Virginia basketball is a perfect example, I think, because of the head coach that we had. Coach Bob Huggins just got inducted into the Hall of Fame last year. He's I'm pretty sure he's the number one uh, active head coach in wins. He's third all time. Uh, he's been around for a very long time and he's been very good at what he does. Uh, so there's an element of that of like if they've already got, you know, proven success, especially sustainable and consistent proven success. Uh, there's an element of that is in terms of, you know, they they still know what they're doing. Um, so I think 
just understanding kind of where you fall in line in terms of you as like the sports scientist and being able to kind of feel out your environment, understanding like the relationships that you build and the trust that you build with those different people um, of like knowing who to communicate certain things with. Like, I don't know that it would always be the best idea, excuse me, to go straight to a head coach or a manager and say like what you just said, like, don't do this, stop doing this, do more of this, do less of this. I, you're not going to win very many battles in that type of conversation. Um, I think another thing that's kind of worked well is building a really good relationship with the strength coaches and the sports med staff, because a lot of times that's where the head coaches are going to have a, already before you've even came in and started to do sports science. It's more likely than not that the head coach is already going to have a very good rapport and very strong trust with those folks. So I think if you can start there and build relationships also, because I think that's where a lot of the data is going to start from. Obviously, if you're trying to do performance and health, uh, that inherently in sport is then going to mean strength and conditioning, nutrition, sports med slash rehab. Um, so I think building kind of starting from like the ground floor up through that and kind of starting to build roots through those different departments, the people in those departments, trying to help them, like especially also because I think they're going to have more of that foundational knowledge in terms of just performance and performance physiology and volumes and intensities and things like that uh, to where you can probably have some, uh, some more effective, like in-depth, meaningful conversations that can then sort of as a team get as a very integrated team, then start to matriculate that up uh, through the, through like the coaching ranks. <laughs> I think you hit it right there with the the integration this is the language, sports science is the language of these other departments that have already yep. existed. Yep. And, and it gives context. As you mentioned before, you don't know the person's history. You don't know what's going on. Could be something in a class, could be something at home. There's all these different factors, but hopefully when you have those round table meetings that you're using objective numbers to confirm or reinforce, or maybe question some of the things that we're seeing in the subjective realm, but it should mesh together. And, and I've had people say, well, what if the data says this? And you know, but the other people say, well, it shouldn't ever be wildly. If someone's trash on the plates, that should be confirmed by you watch them come into the weight room and the strength coach says, yeah, they can't move. They're stiff. You know, sports medicine says, yeah, we've got some stuff going on. They should pretty much be in alignment. One may trigger a little bit sooner than the other, but if you yeah. find you're just wildly missing the mark of the rest of your staff, I think that's a big red flag that you need to kind of reevaluate what your process is. And, and also, you know, we talk, you mentioned right there, we talk a lot about don't ever go and say, don't do that. Because yeah. again, that's just not the way sports are going. You can say, and I, and I get example I give is if I'm working with football and I see that we're starting to show, you know, load problems or we're starting to show fatigue, maybe just not the best day for interior, maybe not the best day to open it up at 40 yards. Or you were thinking about doing gassers. Yeah. Maybe we stay within a five yard, 10 yard box. We do hand fighting, or we, we see how many of those reps are really important just because again, we have some concern that we're seeing something that's atypical. So always providing solutions rather than just saying, you know, we're running too much. We're doing yeah. too much. People yeah, and I think that's that's where like the coaching side of being a sports scientist, I think is really important because if you come up in more of like a coaching education as like a strength coach or I think athletic trainers may not be taught to be coaches, but the soft skill element of it is very much like coaching. Um I think when you come up in that kind of background, you 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 develop those skills and are taught those skills a lot earlier on. Whereas if you if you go more of like the research or sports science type, 
like very statistically driven path in terms of like your education or like I like me, like I came through all that different research and different research positions in those classes and in those experiences, more times than not, when it's data driven, like all your decisions end up almost being binary, statistic, statistically significant, yes or no. Um, and then if it is or if it's not, like it's just all these decision trees of like, yes, no, if this, then this, if yes, no, you know, and you just start to step down to where once you get into like the real applied reality of it all, it's never going to be that simple. And like that, that's, that's something to that I think even people expect, like people in other organizations that have sports scientists almost expect that that's what they get out of the sports scientists. And that, and it's probably because that's how they communicate things. And they're not, they weren't brought up more like within that coaching or very applied, you know, experiences. It's just, a lot more uh, the data and your, you know, your coding or whatever, and you're, you're behind a computer screen like I am right now more than you're at practice or on the floor in the weight room uh, and having those, like having those interactions that make those later, like tougher conversations that much easier and healthier to have. <clears throat> totally. I think the, the biggest thing that people have to understand is that again, you've mentioned it multiple times now, is that you, you need to be able to build relationships. And if yep. you don't, it's just going to come back to bite you. Excellent conversation there between Thomas and Jason. We hope you guys have had some great takeaways from this episode thus far, as Jason has talked about his career path and things that he has learned along the way. This conversation is actually going to be continued in a part two that will be featured here in the next couple of weeks on the Hawken podcast. We wanted to take this time to thank all of you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.